Good morning. We're going to uh, continue this morning in the series that we've called I Will. And what we're doing is we're taking a look at the Psalms. And as Pastor Matt has talked about uh, a few times, in the Scriptures, much of the Scriptures is God speaking to us. But in the Psalms, we see our voice being lifted. And, and in many of the Psalms, we can connect very, in a very real way because they're speaking our experience and our voice. And so today we're going to be talking about I will trust, looking at Psalm 27. I know we just prayed, but I'm going to ask if you would to pray with me again as we open up God's word. Heavenly Father, we are so, so incredibly grateful to you for all the incredible blessings that you give us, the ways that you carry us, and that you do it again and again and again, and you prove yourself over and over again. And I pray, Lord, that as we reflect upon that, that 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 will build in us a trust in you that will stand any storm that comes our way. And so I pray, Lord, that you would speak through me today, that you would teach us as we look at your word. Amen. So Psalm 27 is a psalm of David. Uh, David wrote many of the psalms. And uh, David was Israel's second king, following after King Saul, the first king. And in, in Saul's reign as king, he, he brought David into his home. David had proven himself to be a trusted military leader, to be an ally, to be a confidant. And so Saul brought him in. But it wasn't long after Saul brought David in that David started to get on Saul's radar. He started to watch him, and he started to get jealous. Because David was a great military leader, and he was being praised by the people and Saul began to, began to get jealous, and he started to persecute David. In fact, he started to want him to be killed. And in 1 Samuel, it says, Saul remained David's enemy for the rest of his life. And actually, Saul pursued David to the point David had to flee, and he was on the run from Saul for years, had to leave Jerusalem, and Saul and his armies were hunting him down. Later on in David's life, when he was king, his own son Absalom staged a coup, and took over and, and ousted David, and David went on the run again, and, and he was being hunted for his life. So David had these periods in his life where he was literally being hunted for his life, and he was on the run for long periods of time. I don't know too many of us that have had that kind of experience where we're literally on the run for our lives for periods of time. But I would wager to guess that we can all reflect upon times when the, the future seemed uncertain, where we were filled with fear. I can tell you, one of the scariest times in my life uh, was after a phone call I received from a state trooper telling me that my wife and kids had been in a car accident and I needed to get to Hershey Medical Center. That moment from hanging up that phone to walking into the ER and being able to assess the situation, that time period was the scariest time period of my life because I had no idea what I would be uh, walking into. Fortunately, while it wasn't good, it wasn't as bad as it could have been. But we can all relate to those times of fear and uncertainty in our lives. And it got me thinking about, you know, why is it that we're afraid? Why do we fear? And I think we tend to fear those things that we don't have control over and those things that can cause us harm. And so I, a couple of my fears, one of my fears is a fear of confinement. We would call it claustrophobia, right, if, you, if you're in really closed in space. There's been times where 
Um, I've, I've almost gone into a full-blown panic just, you know, with my heart palpitations and everything being in th that kind of confined space. I also don't like heights. I can go up high, but there's a queasy feeling in my stomach when I'm up there on high. Even climbing a tall ladder, I'll do it if I need to, but I, I don't particularly like being up there. Now, I do enjoy camping. My wife and I do like to go camping, but I found this picture on the Internet of a camping situation that you will never, ever ever find me in. That, that right there is just a big nope. That will not happen. Because of my fear of heights, that is just not something I would do. And now, I think our fears fall into two categories. One is our rational fears. Now, our rational fears are fears of things that realistically can cause me harm. So I would say, I have a fear of swimming in shark-infested waters. That's a rational fear, okay? Then we have our irrational fears. Now, our irrational fears are really more about perceived threats, things that may not realistically be a danger to me, but I perceive them to be. And so when I was a child, when I was in kindergarten, I went to a friend's house, and he wanted to show me his dog had just had some puppies, so we went in, and, and he showed me the puppies, and oh, it was a wonderful little, little display. And, and then we left that room and, and went into another room, and the mother dog followed after, jumped up, and bit me on the arm. She was protecting her puppies. But from that moment on, until well into my adolescence, I had a fear of dogs. And it was an irrational fear. I mean, most dogs I encountered were friendly and fine, and they weren't trying to hurt me. But I was terrified of dogs. Some of our perceived irrational fears have to do with physical things like that. But more often, uh, those, those fears are more abstract and personal. And so we have fears of failure, fears of judgment, fear of rejection, uncertainty, loneliness, hurt, inadequacy. And oftentimes those fears can get in the way of us really living our lives, really being able to move forward in our lives and embrace life. And those, those irrational fears kind of get, get us stuck. And usually those fears, are, they're very focused on self. They're very focused on me and my place in, in relation to the reality around me in this world. And those fears are often based in our experiences. You know, we may have had some hurts or disappointments that happened in life that, that set us up to be afraid. But it also comes out of our awareness of our powerlessness in this world and our insignificance. And by insignificance, I, I just mean that, you know, in the, in the grand scheme of the universe and of all time, my life is just a blip on the computer screen, just a there today and gone tomorrow. And, and so that, that sense of powerlessness in this world and insignificance can really set us up to be afraid. I mean, if you think about it, there's really very little in this life that we have control over. Very little. And that can be a scary reality. Imagine if, you know, as some people do believe, imagine if there was no God. Nobody sovereign. Nobody in control. That we each have to establish ourselves, we have to fend for ourselves, we have to protect ourselves in a world that seems antagonistic against us and over which we have very little control. And that often, unfortunately, is a reality that many people experience in their lives, and it's terrifying. You think of people who are uh, born into poverty, who are living in areas where there's constant political unrest and wars happening, 
um, born into uh, very dysfunctional families where there's violence and, and chaos happening, uh, people who have to deal uh, with the detrimental effects of racism in our world. All of these kinds of realities that people experience where it feels like the world is completely against them. And without an image of a God, that could be terrifying. But here we find David literally being hunted for his life, on the run, having armies after him. And fear is not his response. Psalm 27, verses 1 through 3, it says, The Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger, so why should I tremble? When evil people come to devour me, when my enemies and foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I am attacked, I will remain confident. You see, David's perspective was, God's got me. Even in the face of these armies that are, that are pursuing me, God's got me. In order for me to walk in confidence in a world that is scary, I have to not only believe that God is in control, but I have to trust him to be. I want to say that again. In order for me to walk in confidence in a world that is scary, I have to not only believe that God is in control, I have to trust him to be. Do you see the difference between those two concepts? One concept is a theological concept, believing that God is in control. The other concept is a much more personal and practical concept, trusting him to be. Trust and belief often go hand in hand, but not always. Trust does not automatically follow belief. I want to go back to that picture I showed you earlier of the camping. We can get that up there. So you could show me that that is a safe reality. You could, you could show me the physics of how that is that tenting site is, is fastened to the cliff face. You could get out there. You could stand on it. You could jump up and down on it. You could put an elephant on it. You could convince me intellectually that that is a safe situation. There is no way on God's green earth that I'm going to sleep on that. No way, because I don't trust it. Trust doesn't always come easily to us. For many of us, our past hurts and disappointments make trust very difficult. Trust is vulnerable. In order to trust, I have to really make myself vulnerable to be hurt and disappointed again. Trust requires us to confront our fears. And typically, when we are confronted with fears, we run away. We, we try to ignore them, we run away, we do anything to get away from them. Ironically, that actually makes our fears bigger. Trust requires me to step forward and face my fear. And God wants us to really, completely rely upon him. He wants to grow our trust and to wipe our fears away. He wants us to confront the doubts that hold us back from really living our lives and really embracing him and his love for us. Proverbs 3, the very famous passage says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will direct your paths. Isaiah 26 says, Trust in the Lord always, for the Lord God is the eternal rock. 
You know, here at Susquehanna Valley Church, we have a value that says we have a rock-solid dependence upon God. That's not always easy. Trust comes through faith and our experience of and communion with God. Trust comes from our faith and our experience of and communion with God. And so let's talk about the faith part. Now, faith is not something that we develop on our own. I mean, we, we play our part in that, but, but it's not something that we just kind of create on our own. Actually, faith is something that God gives us. Romans 10, 17 says, Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. So faith comes from hearing the message, and that message is heard through the word about Christ. That means if I want to grow my faith, I need to be delving deeply into the Bible, into God's word. I need to be not only reading it, I need to be ingesting it. Romans 12 says, For, the by, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. And Hebrews 12, 2 says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And so our faith comes from God, but it's something that we struggle with at times. And, and I find such comfort in a story in Mark chapter 9. There's a story where um, this man is bringing his son, who is possessed by a demon, to Jesus. And it picks up there, it says, So they brought him. When the spirit, that is the demon in, in the child, when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything... Take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. And, and I love the man's response here because I can relate to it so well. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. How many times is that our experience where we say, God, God, I, I believe you. I trust you, but there's a part of me that doubts. Help me with that part. And I think it's so comforting to know that, that we can ask God to increase our faith, to strengthen us in our faith. And I think that's what David does in Psalm 27, verse 11. You know, he, he had just laid out his confidence in God, and then he says, Teach me how to live, O Lord. Lead me along the right path, for my enemies are waiting for me. And so there's a, our trust is built through our faith. It is also built through our experience of God. You know, we know that David had a very strong faith in God. We see that early in his life. But we know that he had had some experiences as a shepherd, uh, tending the flock of his family. He had to fight off uh, predators that would come and try to get the sheep. And so he had those experiences of God protecting him and, and giving him strength. And then we see the story of David and Goliath, the very famous story, where here's this Philistine army against the Israelites, and this giant of a man steps out to challenge the Israelite army, and they're terrified of him. Nobody wants to face him, but here comes David, a young man, full of confidence, knowing that the Lord will deliver him. And so his experience has built his faith. And then we see in this, this 
this problem between Saul and David. We see this moment of confrontation where they're actually face to face. And David says to, to Saul in 1 Samuel, he says, May the Lord judge which one of us is right and punish the guilty one. He is my advocate and he will rescue me from your power. See, the more we experience God's working in our lives, the more we can, we can look back on those times, the more our faith and our trust in him grows. But not only is it our experiences with God, but it's our time that we spend with him. It's our communion with God. That David literally talks about waiting on God and worshiping him. Again, uh, in this conflict with Saul, David says to Saul in 1 Samuel, you have driven me from my home so I can no longer live among the Lord's people and worship as I should. You know, we are in a very fortunate position that, you know, we, we enjoy being able to go to any church you want to go to and worship God. But in, in that time period, the temple was in Jerusalem, and that's where they had to go to worship. And David, one of the things we know about David is he loved to worship. He loved to sing. He loved to write music. He wrote many psalms. He, he was a musician. He, was, he loved to play his instruments. He loved being in the presence of the Lord and worshiping. And as a worship leader, I can relate to that. I, I love singing to God, playing my guitar, and just being up here, lifting my voice to the Lord. And so while he's being hunted for all those years, he can't go to the temple and do that as he wanted to do. And so we see in Psalm 27, verses 4 through 6, he says, The one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. For he will conceal me there when trouble comes. He will hide me in his sanctuary. He will place me out of reach on a high rock. Then I will hold my head high above the enemies who surround me. At his sanctuary, I will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy, singing and praising the Lord with music. David had this awareness that in worship, in his communion with God, there was a protection that came, that he was in God's hand. And as we worship God, we draw closer to him. You know, I've used that word commune a few times, and, and that's a word we use in the church a lot, um, but I, I wanted to kind of provide a little definition of what that means. Uh, it says, to share one's intimate thoughts or feelings with someone, especially on a spiritual level, to feel in close spiritual contact with. And so you get that sense in the word communion of this intimacy in worship. And in Psalm 27, verse 8, David says, My heart has heard you say, Come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I am coming. The more time we spend with God, the more we learn to rely on Him and trust Him. The closer we draw to God, the more that we experience that communion, that deep, personal, intimate connection with Him, that communion spills over into every aspect of our lives. When our focus is on Him, not on the circumstances around us, but on Him, the things of this earth take on a whole different perspective. We can have confidence in Him. We can trust Him that he's going to take care of the things of this life. And if we trust him, we can be patient and wait on him to guide us, to direct us, to provide for us as he sees fit, not necessarily as I would have it. And so David says in verses 13 to 14, yet I am confident I will see the Lord's goodness while I am here in the land of the living. 
Wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. Look, this world is a scary place. And when we focus on this world and the things that are coming at us, we can feel very alone and very vulnerable and very scared. But when we keep our focus on God, worshiping Him, reading His Word, we begin to see through His eyes and we can trust Him. He's got us. He's in control. That doesn't mean we're not going to experience difficulties. It doesn't mean we're not going to experience pain. But we know that nothing can ultimately hurt us because not even death can separate us from the love of God. I don't know if you've ever had that experience of reading in Scripture. I hope you have. But reading something in the Bible and and a verse just jumps out at you and kind of takes you and smacks you across the face a few times. And it just, just has some powerful meaning for you. Is there a verse that you can claim when times of fear come? Maybe it's what we just read, Psalm 27, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? Or maybe it's what I just referred to, Romans 8, 39. Neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want to give you a challenge Maybe a little homework assignment for this week. When you go to read the Bible and to spend time in prayer, which, first of all, that's the first part of the challenge. I hope you're doing that. When you go to do that, see what verse God leads you to. What's a verse that jumps out at you that you can take and then memorize that verse? And when we memorize Scripture, we don't have to bother about you know, looking it up when we need it. It's right there. I want to challenge you to pray this week, to spend time in the Bible and see what verse God leads you to that you can take and put in your heart that when you face times of fear, you can have confidence. The more time we spend trusting in God through our prayer, through our worship, through our communion with Him, the more confidence we're going to have in this chaotic world in which we live. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, again, we are so incredibly grateful that you never, ever have left us alone. That you deeply and incredibly so much want desire to draw us closer and closer to you. To fill us with the confidence that can only come in you. And I pray, Father, that as we we read your word this week, as we reflect upon you as we worship you, as we spend time with you, that you would instill in us a deeper and deeper and deeper faith that we can trust you at all times. Lord, we thank you. We love you. And let us continue to worship. Amen.